You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 8. If you are new to Foothills Church, my name's Trent Stewart. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, you haven't seen me yet. (laughs) Uh, I've been um, traveling and uh, giving these guys on staff an opportunity to uh, teach, which I love to do, and uh, they've been doing a phenomenal, great job. But I Usually part of my rhythm is, is during June, I like to travel around and, and visit other churches around the country to kind of see what God is doing in other places and uh, churches that are doing different things and uh, just kind of grow and learn from them. Uh, when you're in my line of work, if all you do is ever go to your church, then you have no idea what's going on around you. So it's really, really fruitful uh, for me to do that. So it's been a phenomenal, uh, fruitful uh, June for me, and uh, but I'm excited to be back, excited to jump into the Gospel of John and uh, begin to uh, uh, see what God has for us as a church family now. We're going to look at verse 31 in just a second, but uh, celebrated the 4th of July. I uh, hope you guys had a great uh, 4th of July for, for my wife and I. It's always a special time uh, because it is right around our anniversary. We just celebrated 15 years of marriage last week, and so we uh, thank you, yeah. We, uh, we were on the West Coast and having a good time. And, um, you know, the 4th of July for us is also kind of unique because uh, the 4th of July weekend, 16 years ago, is when we fell in love. And so um, I just remember that weekend and how fun it was. At least I fell in love with her. I think she's still working on it. But uh, for me, it was a big weekend. Her family went to the lake. My family just happened to go to the same lake and, uh, for the weekend. And, and so I was, I was working the deal to try to spend as much time with her and, uh, you know, she kissed me for the first time over that weekend, you know, at least that's what I say. And uh, she doesn't own up to that. But it, it was just a good memory. And I just remember falling in love. Like if you're married or you're dating somebody and you're in love, like, you know, when you first fall in love, it's just like fireworks and there's just so much passion and energy. And, and uh, you know, it's really freeing. It's really freeing when you find somebody that, you know, you can be yourself around and kind of emotionally it's freeing and, and uh, just uh, being in that relationship, it really just begins to set you free. But, but we all know that those feelings of freedom as a dating couple change pretty quickly when we actually get married, you know? So you get married, the honeymoon's over, the first year is gone, and, uh, or, or immediately when you get back from the honeymoon, for some people, it's like, now all of a sudden we're fighting about stupid things. You know, for us, we, we, we were fighting over what brand of milk to buy, you know? I'm like, it's gotta be Mayfield. And, and she's like, no, I'm getting Kroger brand, man. It's like, I wanna watch ESPN, that's what I do. And she's like, no, I watch HGTV, that's what we're watching, and it's like, I wanted to go out and let's go eat and let's go do stuff. And she's like, why don't we just hang out and cuddle? And I'm like, man, I don't, I, I realized really quickly, like being married uh, gives me a new perspective on freedom. Because for me, I felt like freedom was doing what I want when I want to do it. That's true freedom, right? To do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. I mean, that was my mentality going into marriage and I thought that was freedom. And then she started, you know, making me or, you know, kind of leading me to do other things that I didn't want to do and I didn't like and all these things. So I thought my freedom was getting all messed up. But, but what I quickly, you know, have learned over the years is that my understanding of freedom was way off base because freedom is not doing what you want when you want. Because if you do what you want when you want, chances are you're going to hurt a lot of people that you love around you. 
If you do what you want, when you want, chances are you're going to make a lot of things happen. You're going to choose a lot of bad decisions and it's going to hurt you. And even more importantly, it's going to hurt your relationship with Jesus. So, so doing what I want when I want to do it is not freedom at all. Here's what I know after 15 years of marriage. I drink Kroger brand milk. I watch HGTV and I do a lot of cuddling, you know. That's what I've learned. That's where I'm at. But you know what I've also learned? Like those things I didn't think uh, were going to be awesome and those things that I thought were taking freedom away from me, now all of a sudden I realize I'm enjoying more freedom now. Because there's an aspect of dying to your own needs and dying to your own self that brings forth freedom. And there has to be a death in our life for there to be freedom in our life spiritually. And so when we look at the scripture today, Jesus is going to speak to that point. He's going to speak to what freedom is and, and how to get freedom and, 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 and what he frees us from in our life. And so there's two realities as we talk about freedom in Christ. And, and the first reality is when we accept Christ into our life, we receive him by faith. There's the, the, the reality that we are ultimately set free from the bondage of sin. Okay, so we are, we have given he gives us the Holy Spirit. We have power to overcome sin. And, and, and that freedom is immediately um, given to us. And yet, as a believer, we all know that we still struggle with sin. So it's not like, okay, now I'm saved. Now I don't sin. Of course not. No, we still struggle with sin. And we're fighting against sin. And so the question then becomes, how do we experience freedom from those sins in our life? Relationally speaking, we're, we're in bondage to a certain attitude. We're in bondage to a certain way of communicating. We're in bondage to certain attitudes. You know, maybe we're in bondage to certain sins like, and, and so we have an addiction towards a certain sin. So how do we overcome those? And so throughout the morning, we're gonna be going back and forth on those two realities because some of you may realize that you've never trusted Christ for salvation. You've never professed him as your Lord and Savior. And so you haven't experienced that first dose of freedom. But then there's a, a large majority of you in the room who have done that, and yet you're still not experiencing freedom in your life because sin in your life has enslaved you. You're in bondage to it. How do you overcome it? So let's look at John chapter 8, verse 31, and see what the words of Jesus have to say for us, or to us today. Verse 31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Let's just pause there for a minute. If you're taking notes, the first step to freedom in your life is, in, is, is found in verse 31. And that's by abiding in his word. So we abide in his word. That's the first step to freedom. Now, ultimately, the, the entire passage of, of scripture really boils down to verse 36. Look at it again. 
So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So if the Son is setting you free, you're free indeed. And so if the Son is setting you free, the question that I raise is, is how does he do that? And the first way that he does that is, is by us abiding in his word. Now the word abiding simply means that I am believing and I am applying the words of Jesus. So that's important because a lot of people may say that they're a Christian. A lot of people may say that, you know, they're going to heaven or whatever. But, but Jesus says, my, my, my true disciples are those who abide in my word. So if I'm going to abide in his word, that means I am believing and I am applying his word to my life. If there's no believing in the word of Jesus, then there's no applying the word of Jesus because we know that our behavior determines our actions. And so our behavior is determining whether or not we are abiding and applying his word to our life today. If we're not doing that, then, then we would really need to challenge our own self today and say, you know, have I really committed my life to Christ, because this is a, a very fundamental belief as a believer, as a disciple from the words of Jesus today. Now, this is why small groups are so important. I mean, you hear us talk about them quite a bit, but this is why small groups are, are, are so valuable because Sunday morning is a component of how you abide in the word of God. You hear it, you have the opportunity to believe it, you have the opportunity to apply it. And that's just one component. But if this is the only component that you're experiencing, you're missing out on a huge part of what it looks like to mature in your faith. Just imagine taking that next step, that next level of commitment in your life and sitting around in somebody's living room, drinking coffee, eating donuts, and talking about God's word, where you can ask questions, where you can read the scriptures. So every week now, I am in God's word, not only on Sunday morning, but now in my small group. So in my small group, I'm, I'm in God's word and now we're talking about what it means. And then we talk about how we can apply it, ways that I never thought about. And not only that, but even to the next level, now there are people that are holding me accountable to that application. Hey, Trent, did you do that? Remember we talked about it? How's it going? And I can say, man, I'm sucking at it or man, I'm doing good at it or, or here's where I'm at. But it gives me the opportunity to abide in his word in relationship with other people. And this is how we mature in our faith. This is how we are set free from sin in our life. If the only dose of the words of Jesus that we get are twice a month in this room, I'm telling you, you'll be in bondage more than likely for the rest of your life. Say, so, Trim, I think you're a decent speaker. I mean, I give yourself a little bit of credit. No, I'm just, I'm just being real. I don't care who the speaker is. Because you need more than just a good sermon. You need people to help you apply it and live it out in your life. If you really want freedom in your life, then you'll make that a priority. You'll make that something that you're running after, that you're fighting for, that you're experiencing in your own life. Now, here's the problem though. And, and, and let's just go back to this famous verse. I'm sure you've read this before. He says, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciple. So abide in my word. And then he says in verse 32, and then you will know the truth. So I love the progression here. Listen, we can't get away from the progression of freedom in Christ here. Abide in my word, step one, believe it, apply it. Step two, then you know the truth. So there's a knowledge component. I understand what it says. As I apply it, my behavior is, going, is following my belief. And, and so now I know 
And as I know the truth and as I'm doing the truth, then I'm set free. So there's a natural progression there. We don't just get saved. We don't just say, God, give me freedom over this. And then boom, we're free from it. There's a progression of overcoming and killing sin in our life that we've got to experience. But here's the problem. We don't want this truth. We don't want this truth. He says very clearly here, like, you, you want to kill me. You don't accept what I'm saying here. You don't, you don't accept the truth. You don't want to hear the truth. And the reality is everybody in this room has faced that. We don't want the truth. Let me explain it really quickly. Um, so football season is about to kick off again, and I'm sure you're pumped uh, like I am. And, and, and one of the things college football has done over the last couple of years is really use instant replay a lot. So, so they make a call on the field, and um, they're not sure if the call was correct, and so they go to instant replay. And when they go to instant replay, then they can get to the truth. Because, I mean, that's the point of instant replay, to figure out the right call, the truth. And so let's just think about the, a scenario here. You're at Neyland Stadium, 100 plus thousand people rooting for the, you know, the Vols. And, and so UT receiver runs out, he catches a pass. Okay, he's in the end zone. And in, in, in college football, all you have to do is get one foot in bounds. And so he drags his foot in bounds. He catches the ball. And the ref right beside him raises up his hands, says touchdown. And what does the crowd do? They cheer. They go nuts. So they're, whoa, yeah, they're pumped. The guy's pumped. He's excited. The team is excited. And then some other ref runs over during the celebration and says, no, 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 no. He was out of bounds. He was out of bounds. You're like, he was from Florida, you know, he's an idiot. So, so they go, okay, okay, let's go to the instant replay. So they go to the instant replay and they look at it. Now, what's the UT receiver saying as he sits on the sidelines? Oh, I was in, bro, I was in, man. That was a catch, that was a catch. You gotta count that, man. Why? Because he wants that to be the truth. What are the 100 plus thousand fans like you and I doing? Oh, that was a catch, that was so a catch. Come on, that was a catch. Why? Because we want that to be the truth. Now, what is the opponent, uh, the, the opposite team doing? Nah, his foot was on the line. Foot was on the line. He didn't catch it. It doesn't count. Why? Because they want that to be the truth. <laughs> so the instant replay shows the referees come back out onto the field, and the referee says, upon further review, it is not a touchdown. The player was out of bounds. What are the hundred? thousand plus fans at Neyland Stadium going to do at that moment. Boo, you suck, ref, you're horrible. Get him out of here. The player is yelling. Why? Because ultimately as a fan, I don't care about the truth. I want a touchdown. Can we just be honest? I don't care about the truth. I want a touchdown. Ultimately. Now listen, Spiritually speaking, in life, much the same way. I don't really care what the truth is, God. I just want my wife to want me physically. I don't care what the truth is, God, about money. I just want you to give me some so I can buy the house that I want. I don't care what you say about forgiveness, God. They did me dirty. And so it feels good for me to be bitter. Why? because we just want the touchdown. We just want success. We just want whatever it is we want. And therein lies the problem. 
And therein lies the bondage and therein lies the slavery to sin in our life because we don't want God, we don't want truth, we want what we want when we want it. And if we don't get it, we're mad at God, we're mad at you, I'm mad at her. Here's what Jesus says. He says, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. Any slaves to sin in the room want to confess this morning? Oh, there's only like three of you? No, it should be all of us. Like, so, so Jesus would say you're a slave to sin. And, and what he means by that is that, sla- uh, that sin dictates our decisions. It dictates our diet. It dictates our schedule. It dictates how we spend money. It dictates our relationships. It dictates how we do our job. It dictates whether or not you get up and come to church on Sunday morning. We're a slave to sin. And so the, the response here from the Pharisees is, that, is verse 37. They say, wait a minute. So we're offspring of Abraham here. You know, we're a part of the family of God. Look at verse 39. They answer, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. In other words, they're saying, look, we're, we're in the family of God. We're Jews. And God's like that. You know, your family tree doesn't give you the family of God. Your family tree doesn't provide salvation. It's faith in God that provides salvation. So these Jews, they're, they're not you know, right with God as they think that they are. Some of us in the room may think that our family heritage has um, given us salvation. Like, you know, I, I hear it all the time. I ask people about their faith. You know, are you a Christian? Are you a believer? When did you accept Christ? Like, well, I've always believed. I was raised in church. No, you haven't always believed. You were a slave to sin. There was an event, there was a moment where you received Christ into your life. Now that meant my, that's definitely a progression. God reveals truth over time to us. And yet there still is a moment when we say yes to Jesus. And so we also, we also see this a lot. You know, sometimes people think, well, my mom and dad went to church. I was, you know, they, they were great Christians. Well, mom and dad are great Christians, good for you. That doesn't mean that you're on your way to heaven. So our family tree doesn't dictate our eternity. Our obedience and faith determines our eternity. So he says, if you abide in me, if you know my truth, if you follow this truth, then then you will experience freedom in your life. You will experience freedom over sin. And, And Jesus calls them a slave to sin. And they say, no, we're not slaves to sin, Jesus. We are children of Abraham. And he says, no, if you were children of Abraham, you'd be doing the work of Abraham. So if the first step to overcoming sin in our life and experiencing freedom in Christ is abiding, believing and applying God's word, the second would be serving the mission of God. And here's where we get this. Look at it again. He says, they they say, we're children of Abraham. He says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be what? Doing. You'd be doing something. What? You'd be doing the work that Abraham did. What was the work that Abraham did? He was by faith following and obeying God's call upon his life. He was serving God. So so if we're going to experience freedom in Christ, we are going to be serving God in some capacity. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. It's like I'm telling you the truth and you want to kill me. And I heard this from God. This is not what Abraham did. Verse 41, you are doing the work your father did. They said to him, 
We were not born out of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. So Jesus is saying, the father has sent me. I am serving his mission. I am doing what he has called me to do. If you were following God, you would be doing what God called you to do. Listen, folks, if you want to experience freedom in your life, then not only do you got to abide in God's word, but then you begin to serve God on his mission. In other words, you are adding value to the great commission in some capacity, helping people know Jesus and grow in their faith. That is the great commission. At the end of the day, that's what we are called to do, to serve that mission. So my question is, how are you serving? In what capacity are you serving? Well, I serve God all the time. You know, I have a good attitude at work and I serve God. Well, that's great. But how is it adding value to the Great Commission? Have you taken that next step? Are you, you taking that next level of faith in your life? Maybe God asked you or gave you an opportunity to do something a year ago and you did it and you're still doing it. Great. But are we apathetic now? Are we kind of stale now? And it's like we're still doing the same thing. Have we missed that that was step one, but God has something next for us and we haven't accepted that because we're still hanging on to the last thing he told us to do. And perhaps God is, 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 is happy with you for last year, but he's got something new and fresh for you now. Are we following him? Are we serving him? Are we experiencing that next level of faith in our life? I would say if we're going to experience freedom, then we've got to walk in obedience. We've got to serve him because it's through serving him that we know his truth and he sets us free from sin. Now, here's an example. In my life, God called me into the ministry. Um, really, over the course of many years, I struggled with that call. Um, I rejected that call. I, 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 I did not want to do that. Uh, 16 years ago, roughly, 16, 17 years ago, um, I accepted that call. Now, one of the main reasons why I was struggling with that is because I was fearful of getting up in front of people and talking about my faith. <laughs> now, you can see how that's a problem with my job. <laughs> if, I, if I'm afraid of that, then, then, then I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna do very well in this capacity. So how did God free me of that fear and, and, and how did that process work? Well, when I surrendered to the ministry, God magically sprinkled fairy dust over me while I slept and I woke up and then I was no longer afraid. Of course not, that's stupid. But, but some of us think that that's gonna happen, that he's just gonna automatically change us. God, just do it right now, just do it right now. Show me in the clouds, you know. Help me to see a sign. It's like it doesn't, doesn't work that way. How it works is that God calls us to do something, we're freaked out, we're afraid, we surrender, and then we obey. And as I step onto the stage in front of people and talk about my faith, you know, 30 minutes later, I go backstage and I go, I'm still alive. You know, they didn't eat me. <laughs> they didn't shoot me, you know. They, they keep coming back. Okay, that's a good thing. And so it's a progression as I walk in obedience and as I do it and as I fail at it, as I stink at it and as I pray about it, as I study and as I, as I dive into what God is calling me to do, he over the course of time frees me to where now 
not an issue for me. I don't like stay up late at night and get nervous about speaking on Sunday mornings. Now, would I, would I say that I'm completely 100% free of that? No, still struggle with that from time to time. But that's why abiding in his word and that's why continue, continuing to walk in obedience allows me to continue to experience that freedom. Now, if you're walking in sin and you're not obeying the Lord and what he is asking you to do today, then you are not walking in freedom. Maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's financially, maybe it's at work, maybe it's an internal emotional struggle that you face right now. And, and, and the result of us not walking in obedience are, are, are these these bondage, enslaving mentalities that we begin to carry with us. And so we've got to begin to serve him. He says in verse 36, he says, you are a slave until the sun sets you free. I mean, you, it says you are a slave to sin, but when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Modern translation, when the sun sets you free, you are free for real. That's modern. It's modern. It didn't work, did it? It's supposed to get a laugh right there. But actually, I want you guys give give a little shout out because you're a little tired today. Let's give a faux real. Ready? One, two, three. That wasn't bad. You're with me. I mean, this is this is how God allows us to experience freedom. It's through the Son that we experience freedom. It's as we're abiding in Him, as we're walking with Him. Now, John Owens, an old book written many years ago called "On the Mortification of Sin." One of the classic Christian books, classic Christian authors. I was rereading that a month or so ago. And um, one of the concepts of his book talks about how sin is always indwelling. Sin is always growing within us. And if we are not actively pursuing death to those desires and to those sins, then they will consume us. They will take control of our life. And one of his most famous quotes is this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Ah, it's so good, isn't it? Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Why? Because if we are not fighting against sin, if we're not trying to destroy sin in our life, then it will consume us in slavery, and we won't even recognize it. The Pharisees don't even realize it at this point. But it's so true. It's like in a boxing match. If you were gonna go fight this afternoon, you know, gloves off, you know, full combat in the cage this afternoon, MMA style, and you step into that ring and you don't throw a punch, what are the chances of you winning? Not very good. You're about to get knocked out. As quick or as much as you try to dodge, eventually you'll get knocked out. Why? Because to win the fight, you gotta throw some punches. And the same can be said spiritually. If we're, gonna, if we're gonna defeat sin in our life, experience freedom in our life, we've gotta begin to throw some punches. And the only way we can begin to do that is as we serve God and as we are abiding in his word, we are believing and we are applying it to our life. We begin to experience this freedom. So he continues. Let's, let's keep going here. Verse 42, <clears throat> Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God. And Jesus said to them, (laughs) I love this. Jesus said to them, "Um, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Verse 43, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear my word. You cannot bear my word. Kind of goes back to the concept of some, we don't want the truth. We, some of us can't bear the truth in our life. We just would rather believe lies. 
We can't bear the truth. Let's go back to football because it's just on our minds. Let's just be honest. We're thinking about it. You know, we're counting down the days. So like, if you're a UT fan, let me just see. How many UT fans do we have here today? Okay, so most of us. So this is going to hit home. This may hurt a little bit, okay? I'm just warning you. So if you're a UT fan and an arrogant, knowledgeable Alabama fan comes to you, I didn't, I didn't say raise your hand, Alabama fan, but if that Alabama fan comes to you and he says or she says, this is how many championships we have, here's how many times UT has beat us, all this about Saban and Alabama, blah, 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 what are you doing? Your heart's beating faster, little beads of sweat are coming, you're getting angry, you're getting mad, and you cannot bear to hear what he or she is saying at that moment. You can't bear to hear it. Now, multiply that by a million, and then you know where the Pharisees are at as Jesus is saying these things to them. They cannot bear the truth. Now, the truth is you need to be friends with an Ohio State fan, and then they can help you with those Alabama fans, but we won't go there. We won't go there. Now I've just divided the whole room and everybody hates everybody. No, <clears throat> it's just football. It's just football. It's not life and death. Okay, so, so, so he, he, he makes it clear. You cannot bear the truth. You can't bear to hear my word. Verse 44, you are, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is not the Jesus we see in TV, on TV or in movies. I mean, usually the, the Jesus we see on movies is like, John, let's go to the river. It's like, he's so feminine. And it's like, look, this is, this is the real deal right here. They wanna kill him. Life on the line. Not like we're gonna take you to trial and, and, and convict you. Like, I'm gonna kill you right now if you keep talking, Jesus. And he still tells them the truth. Now that's bold. That's in your face. Oh, you're serving your father, all right. And by the way, your father is the devil. Can you imagine that? I mean, no wonder they wanted to kill him. No wonder they were ready to choke slam him right there. He, he's in their face. You don't want the truth and you don't want to follow a heavenly father because you're too tied up to your earthly father, the father of lies, Satan, the devil. Now listen, here, here are a couple of takeaways from this. First off, we live in a culture now where we're the crazy ones, Right? We're the crazy people that believe that marriage is God's idea and that it's for a, a, a man and a female. And that's God's idea and that's how it should be. So we're more and more, we are the minority, okay? And, and that's probably gonna continue to go. But does that mean that we crawl away in a, in, in, and hide in a cave and cry about it, complain about it? Or does that mean we model the life of Jesus and we firmly stand in front of people and share in love the truth? even though they would rather kill us. They can't bear to hear the truth. They don't want the truth. And yet, listen, Jesus is still there telling them the truth. Now that speaks volumes to me, and I hope it does to you too, because as a believer, I'm called to share the truth. You are called to share the truth. 
You're not called to know who is going to receive the word of God or who is, who, who's going to receive it and who's not going to receive it. That's God's job. He does the convicting. He does the saving. My job is to proclaim and share the love and truth of God. And that's your job as well. Regardless if they want to hear it or not, that's our job. That's what we're called to do. And so as we do that, we're, we're, we're following the Great Commission. At the same time, we're modeling the life of Jesus who stood before men every day who wanted to kill him. And he still shared because there are some people out there that will be set free. There, there, there are some people at work today, tomorrow, if you share the truth, they will receive Jesus into their life. They will come to church. Their life will be transformed. We don't know who they are. And I've seen the most hardened, hard-hearted, you know, far from God, stubborn people who I thought would never receive Jesus walk down an aisle and receive Jesus, come into my office crying, begging for Jesus to save them. So I don't put it past anybody. That's not my job. All I'm called to do is to share the truth. And like Jesus, we want to do it even in the face of adversity. Verse 46, he says, which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. And so again, there we go. The people that aren't receiving the truth, they're not of God. And so, so again, we, we're called to share in, in a hostile environment, in a hostile world. We're not gonna hunker down and, and save, you know, save ourselves in a cave. And, no, no, we're gonna, we're gonna confront culture with the truth of God's word because we know that God is ultimately gonna save some people and that's part of the role of a believer. Let's continue, verse 48. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? <laughs> it's so nonchalant. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like, look, we all know you're crazy. We all know you're insane, Jesus. I mean, aren't we right in saying that? He's like, no. He says, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. In other words, when you dishonor me, you dishonor the Father. Verse 50, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he's the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. All right, so here's the third point, if you're taking notes. The third point is, ultimately, we will experience ultimate freedom in Christ when we are with him in eternity in heaven. There's always going to be this struggle and this fight in this life with sin, we're always going to wrestle with it. It's never gonna feel like home. It's never gonna feel just right or just perfect in this life. It never will. Not until we experience heaven in eternity with Jesus face to face. That is our ultimate freedom. So, so as I struggle with my fears, as I struggle with shame over stupid mistakes in my life, I, 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 I make some progress, I feel good, I forget about it, and then the enemy puts it right back into my mind, and then all of a sudden I feel it over again. And that cycle happens on a yearly basis, and I'm fighting, and I'm struggling, and I'm fighting, and I'm struggling, and I'm putting to death sin in my life. I'm becoming closer to Jesus, and yet still, that struggle and that cycle will exist until one day Jesus returns or he calls me home. And in that moment, when I see Jesus face to face, all guilt wiped away, all shame wiped away, all sin in my life completely walked away and I will see Jesus for who he is face to face. And so we look in hopeful expectation of that day realizing that at the same time he's given us the spirit to empower us to kill sin 
overcome it and experience freedom in our life over sin. So that, so both of those realities are taking place in our life. For us today, we're serving God. We're also ultimately going to experience this in eternity. And so let's continue. So we close out this passage. He says this, verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? In other words, you haven't seen him. How are you talking about Abraham? You weren't alive back then. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and he went out of the temple. He went to that judo stealth mode and somehow Navy sealed him and, and, and didn't catch him. But it wasn't his time. But, but his, his deal right here, there's no mistaking what Jesus is claiming right here. You remember in Exodus chapter 3, God's revealing himself to Moses. And, and Moses is like, you know, I don't know if I can go to Pharaoh. God's like, you got to go to Pharaoh and set my people free. And Moses is like, I don't talk well. I don't think I'm the right leader. A few other excuses. And, and then finally he was like, who am I going to say sent me? How are they even going to believe me? And God says, you tell them I am sent you. Fast forward now to the life of Jesus. And now Jesus, no mistaking what he's claiming right now. He is claiming that he is God. He is equal with the Father in heaven. By claiming that he is the I am, he is saying that he is God. And so they've already wanted to kill him. Now they're actually going to do it. And they pick up stones and they're ready to kill him. So here's what we know. If we're going to overcome sin in life, we're going to experience freedom in life, freedom in relationships, marriage, finance, you name it, whatever topic you need to apply it to today, whatever area of your life that you're not experiencing freedom in your life, where it's, you're, you're bound up, you, you're not accepting the truth, there's, there's conflict, there's, there's tension, and, and whatever areas those are in your life, you want freedom in those areas? Abide in his word, begin to believe it, begin to apply it in your life. You need people around you to make that happen. All of our groups are starting back up uh, next month. Not only that, we've got recovery groups, groups that will help you with addictions, groups that will help you with uh, dealing with guilt and shame and those kinds of things because of events in your life. All these things happen every year. You get in community, in relationship with other people, and as you do that, you're abiding, you're believing, you have the opportunity to believe, you have the opportunity to apply. But as I do that, that's step one. Step two, now I'm serving God. As I serve God and I walk out in obedience and as I help him in the great commission, now he's freeing me from all kinds of areas. Areas I didn't even know existed, he's bringing to my attention. And ultimately I'm looking forward to one day when I am completely free, when I stand before him in heaven. And how do I know this is gonna work? How do I know this is going to happen? What authority can we say this is gonna happen? Well, we don't say it in any other fashion, in any other form than to say the great I am gives you the power to do this. Jesus himself, 
Only through Jesus do we overcome addiction. Only through Jesus do we overcome sin in our life. He sets us free. No one else sets us free. No no self-help book is gonna give you the, the energy and the motivation to overcome sin in your life. There's not a mom, there's not a spouse that can force you to change. The change happens supernaturally through the power of the Holy Spirit. The great I am changes you. And so that's who we wanna worship. That's who we wanna run to. And we're going to close our time this morning by thinking more of him and the sacrifice that he paid. Because ultimately, we would not have any freedom spiritually at all had it not been for the sacrifice of Jesus. Freedom is never free. Freedom always has a price for our country and most assuredly for our salvation. And it's through the cross, through the broken body of Jesus, through the blood that he spilled on the cross that we have the opportunity for this freedom. And so we're going to close in just a minute. I'm going to pray. We're going to close. The band's going to sing the great I am. As we do that, we're going to close with communion, the Lord's Supper. And so our folks are going to pass out the bread and the juice, and we're going to spend some time in prayer, remembering that his body was broken for our freedom, that his blood was spilled out for our freedom. Now, this is for believers. So if you've got kids in here, this isn't for them. If they've never made a profession of faith, it's a good teaching opportunity for them. But for the rest of us that have made this decision, this is our opportunity to to remember the sacrifice. The Bible tells us to confess sin before we take communion. So we'll spend some time on your own praying and dealing with that. And then you take it on your own whenever you're ready throughout this song. Whatever it is, ultimately, if you've never experienced this freedom in your life and you want to receive that, you want to learn more about it, as you leave these doors to your left is a room called the prayer and care room. In that room, we've got counselors, we've got people that want to pray with you, can help you and uh, walk you through anything that you're going through today. I encourage you to go there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the cross. And it's through the cross that we experience salvation. It's through the cross that we understand true freedom. And there are men and women in this room blinded. And I pray that you would uncover their eyes to the truth. There are men and women in this room who have never received you. I pray for their salvation. There are Christians in this room, Lord, that are experiencing bondage and slavery to certain sin. And I pray, God, that you would release them, help them to pursue you, help them to run to you as they abide in you and as they they serve you. Lord, I pray that you would give them that freedom and they would have that energy and motivation through your spirit to, to pursue it. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your broken body and the blood that was spilled. And as we take communion, We remember you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.